0: Level Up La Latina partners with working women and mamas alike to guide them in achieving fulfilling career and life goals through financial empowerment, professional or leadership coaching, and personal wellness. Find the unique coaching you need to succeed.
1: You're listening to Vero, Ceci, and Irene, and we are Level Up La Latina.
2: Welcome back to episode 59, everybody, of the Level Up Latina podcast. Today on our show, we're really excited to have a special guest with us. This is Dr. Norma Reyes joining us today. Thank you for being with us, Norma. We're going to explore counseling in the Latinx community, and we're really excited to have your expertise with us this morning. Dr. Reyes is a clinical manager at a Fortune 500 health plan. She has her doctorate in adult professional and community education, a master's in counseling and guidance and a bachelor's degree in psychology with a minor in Spanish. I had to say it all because she went after it. right? Her extensive research has focused her career on the development of Latinas and so we're really excited to have you Norma. Welcome to our podcast.
3: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
2: So to start, tell us briefly about
3: your background and your upbringing. Okay, cut me off if I go off because it's a lot. I'm sure it's a lot for everybody. (laughs) So both my parents are from Mexico, my mom from northern Mexico, my dad from southern Mexico, I always describe where my dad's from, like you think of Mexico like a boot, he's like from the part of the heel, (laughs) way down south. My dad came alone when he was about 17, and so I, it's important for me to always say that because I didn't grow up like a typical Latino Um And so we didn't have like a huge extended family. I felt like, you know, we had a very just nuclear family. So my experience was very different. I think my big saving grace was that we were in San Antonio and San Antonio has a lot of Latinos. So I didn't face a lot of adversities that other Latinos and other minorities sometimes feel because of that little protective factor there. But it was kind of twofold because the Latinos in San Antonio are also very different from Latinos everywhere else. There's the Latinos, like recent immigrants, and then there's the Latinos who the border crossed them. And it's very different. And so I had to kind of navigate that. When I was little, we lived on the west side. So that's like more recent immigrants in San Antonio. And so I didn't really feel that I was a minority at that time until we moved to the south side of San Antonio, where there's more generations of Latinos who are Americans and they don't call themselves mexican and so that was kind of new for me i was 9 10 years old so i of course i didn't really understand it other than i was seen as different because i was darker it's funny now because i'm like i'm really not that dark but apparently i was something about me was different to all these kids and so then i had to kind of navigate those dynamics but i I say all that, but I love San Antonio. I love the South Side. Actually just moved like two weeks ago and I live just North of San Antonio. And it's really interesting to see the dynamics of where I lived and where I live now. So I grew up, I had two older sisters and a younger brother. When we moved to the South Side, my two older sisters went to go live with their dad. And so it was me and my brother. And so I think that added another element where my sisters were kind of, they're four and five years older than me. So they were kind of like caregivers at the time. And then it kind of flipped the role for myself when we moved down to the South side of San Antonio and we were latchkey kids. Another really protective factor for myself um, being a first generation Mexican American is that I loved reading. I'm not really sure where that came from. I know my dad used to take us to the library a lot when we were kids. And so I I want to say that's where it came from, but I'm not sure, but I would read a lot. And I think that gave me the opportunity to see that there was more out there. No one had to tell me because I was reading it in the books and I was really drawn to books like from Esmeralda Santiago and she wrote when I was Puerto Rican. And that was the closest thing I found that I could relate to. You know, she grew up in a lot of poverty, came to the US and she even got her PhD later. So I I think reading books like that really, really helped me. My parents were very big on education's important. It was funny the way my parents did it. My dad was like, don't get pregnant. I've got my... (laughs) Uh Oh yeah, typical parents. (laughs)
1: Whatever it is, don't get pregnant.
3: Yes, don't get pregnant. <laughs> we all got that advice, <laughs> but I don't remember my dad actually saying those words. It's like, how did, how did it, how did he come?
2: How did I know this? My mom would say, "Una mujer pierde a la vuelta de la esquina," and I'm like, I think that means don't get pregnant.
0: <laughs> you know what I heard? No más, no vayas a salir con tu
2: Domingo siete. Oh, that's a good, ah, one. See, that's it's a good that one. one. We know what that means. Yeah. Go that ahead, means
1: Dr. That Dr. Is, it's so obvious, right? <laughs> right?
3: <laughs> that's my sex talk. <laughs> yeah, I don't even I I don't even remember at all. Maybe I blocked it out, but I just knew. <laughs> and, and for my mom, she would always tell me um, to do for myself and not to depend on a man. That was like her biggest thing. She really, really pushed that. And I think... Now I've come to overcome that because that's something that is good and gets you, but then in the relationship can get you into trouble. I went to a university, Texas State University. That was also very much a very different experience. It was, so San Marcos, Texas is only about an hour north of San Antonio, but I mean, just in that little time it was a big difference. Most of the people I was attending school with, I would say like 70% of the school was white. And for myself, I was like 99% Hispanic school, but then the city itself as well is very Hispanic. And so going there, I really, really felt like I stood out because of my skin color and a lot of other things that happen when you go um, and you don't know anything about college
2: and so then you decided to you're in college and it seems like you always were on the path of guidance being a counselor you know how did you get into this field how did you continue to expand in the field and it's sort of a twofold question like what is your experience or your opinion now about the latinx community and how they see counseling or therapy or maybe how it sometimes is seen as unnecessary or not useful
3: So for myself, I took it took me some time to navigate and figure out a lot of things. And along the way, I had a lot of bad counseling or school guidance. And I think that's why I now kind of pivot back and want to do that for others, because I feel like a lot of people push their ideas onto people without giving you credit that you might have an idea of what you want to do and what you want to do and you know, your intuition, you know. Um, So for example, when I was in high school, I wanted to take dual credit classes, but my high school counselor told me to take AP classes. I I didn't know anything, I didn't know who to ask, I didn't even think of asking my, my teachers, I just, took their word for it. That was a, a big thing that I had to learn, um, both in high school and in college. But you had no guidance, no one to tell you otherwise? Right. And so it took a while to, to learn. And my own intuition is right. And we know what's right for us, even though we're not an expert. But that took years for me to understand later. But at the time, you know, in high school, I didn't have anybody to ask. My parents don't know anything about. All they know is finish, do well in school. And so, you know, I took the counselor's word for it. I did not do well on the AP exam, um, like most of my peers, because we're not up to that rigor, where a dual credit course could have given me college credits. So that's something I think that always stings to me, because I felt like I knew that was an option. And then I just went with what they told me because I thought they knew better than me. And then in college, my freshman year was pretty rough. Because again, I went to a school that didn't prepare me for college at all. And I was so used to going into the classroom, sitting in class and just getting an A because I could retain all of the information. And so then in college, I did that and thought it was going to just work out. And of course it didn't. So my freshman year, I always like to say, I mean, I made a 2.39. I was the I was uh, number 23 in my graduating class top 10%, you know, and I go and I I did poorly. And then I didn't even realize then how close I was to academic probation and it didn't even phase me. I was like, oh, okay, that's fine. I didn't realize how bad it was. Spring semester, again, I made a 2.4. I thought I was doing better. but I really wasn't, and then it took that year to really get myself and understanding like what I needed to do to do well in school. So I changed my major. I totally did that. At this <laughs> point, your story is crazy relatable. <laughs> Let
2: me put that off. Yes, yeah, that was me. That was we were just talking about bad counselors last
3: mm-hmm. week. Yeah, okay, go for it. So you changed your major. That was good. Yes. I changed my major three times, and the first time I did it because a professor accused me of cheating. So my first major was computer science. Wow! And I had, uh, so, you know, of course, in STEM and even, how oh man, it's almost like 20 years ago was <laughs> when I started school in 2002. Um, there was three women in the classroom. I was the only Latina. There was three other Latinos and they were male. And so we would work together in our course, in our coursework. And then um, one of them had asked me to look at my code and I'm like, sure. You know, I didn't think anything of it. Totally copied my code, turns it in as his assignment. That's like pretty much just copying an essay word for word because code is just like that. It's your own language. And so um, you know, the professor, I felt, just singled me out and saying, you know, you could get expelled for this. And I was so embarrassed, having never had experienced anything like that, not even asking me what happened, you know, just, just straight up accusing me. And I, I that's when I was like, okay, maybe this isn't for me. I'm not doing well. I'm making um, B's and C's. I didn't ask anybody for any advice. I didn't even think I think I was just so embarrassed that I was failing and I didn't know what to do. And so I changed my major. <laughs> that made that made logical sense. Just, yes. just you didn't quit. That, the most important thing,
2: you did not quit.
1: But that is insane how something that wasn't your fault still made you feel so ashamed and so embarrassed and took such a toll on you. That isn't mm-hmm. that is crazy to for me to hear that yeah. from you.
2: And yeah. it sounds like the male student was the male student Latino who copied yes. your stuff? Yes,
3: he was. Oh,
2: interesting. How yeah. did, he, did he take the fall at all, or was this all? No, the and no. That's the part that no. feels like yes, yeah. advantage to the woman in uh, the male privilege, right there. That, I mean, that mm-hmm. has to feel like wait, am I? What am I doing wrong? But truly, it was an injustice to you.
3: Yeah, I was so. I was even more embarrassed for myself that I didn't stand up and say, "Well, this is this was my work." I think that also pained me a lot. And of course, the fact that he didn't say anything either while standing there, because he called us up after class. And I mean, I don't know who else was in the classroom, but I'm sure they were aware of what just occurred. And it was just so, so embarrassing. I made a B in the class, though. Hey. (laughs) So what did you change your major to? I changed it to communication design. Okay. All right. I liked art and I thought maybe I would like some sort of graphic design stuff. Um, And I did that for about a year. I did pretty well, I think, in my classes. I made A's in my art classes because you have to take a lot of foundational art courses. I just didn't feel like I had that passion for it. I felt like in order to be successful, you can't just be good at something. You have to, it has to be like a burning desire. And I, and I and I could see the other artists. I mean, and I felt like, you know, it was injustice to them that I could do well if I applied myself, but it wasn't like second nature to me. So then I took a psychology course because, you know, everyone has to take a social sciences course. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, I love this. I love learning about people and development. And I think that's where that interest really, really, really began in that and wanting to do something in that field. At the time, I didn't know that it was counseling that I wanted to do, but I knew something along those lines. That's fantastic.
1: You know, it's funny that a lot of people usually, or a lot of students, we go into school and we really don't know what we're going to study, but we always gravitate toward the social sciences. And you started the other way around. You started with, you know, computer science, and then you went to communication (laughs) design. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I should have taken this social science class a long time ago because I love it. But it's it's trippy to see how your your transition was just a little bit different, like the opposite for the majority of us.
3: I think a lot of that happened with, um, so while my parents didn't have education after sixth grade in Mexico, and my mom did attend some school here, they still brought technology home like so my dad so i had one of those old computers um where you put like the little floppy disk and he would bring you know they were like secondhand and really old but i would learn them and so i learned a lot of technology and so then i applied it in school and was really good at doing those things and i think that goes back to sometimes you're really good at stuff. But that doesn't mean that that's your passion. It just means you're really good at it. Yeah, that totally resonates. That
2: makes a lot of sense. A lot of us often are good at things and we can do them. But if you're not passionate about it, you're just going to burn out. You're not going to probably do them at your best really ever. I, I really, that resonates with me. I get it completely. And there's just natural gifts. And so your parents sound amazing, by the way. They sound like a lot of our parents that didn't necessarily have the resources or the know-how, but you're saying there was a computer in my home that already sets you apart. Whether it was like secondhand or not, there was trips to the library that already sets you apart. And I think those little things that are really big things made a difference. Kudos to your parents and kudos to you because like you just kept going. It sounds like undergrad was crazy and it's three different ages And we've all heard that story and you said, and I'm going to continue. And then it's a master's degree and a PhD. Like that's incredible. And you are a Latina that is a doctor. And that always makes me really happy. And it makes me feel like there's all these great examples. So tell us about now being flash forward in the field. So you're this Latina, Doctora Reyes, like this is a big deal. And you're in our community, giving back to our community.
3: And how do you encourage our community to seek support and uh, get what they need? For counseling, I learned a lot just being in the field and working for what here in Texas is called a local mental health authority. And we do, you know, we serve, I worked in San Antonio. So of course, we service a lot of Latinos. I think the biggest thing that I noticed about mental health is that it's only okay if it's really extreme. So the local mental health authority services, major depression, schizophrenia, and bipolar. Those are the three major disorders. And so for someone who might have a mild case of depression, um, other lesser like anxiety, it's really difficult for them to find help, but not just that, but um, families, especially, the uneducated, or just yeah, that's all it comes down to, just being uneducated. See, behavioral health, like oh, you're crazy, and that's a disability. So there's a lot of things in mental health. You know, everyone. I always say everyone has something. We are overcoming something. And in the Latino community, it's not seen okay to go talk to someone. The thing is, we also don't talk to each other. We don't. It's like you need you need something. And even well yes. Talk- <laughs> <laughs> it's so. Girl, we're keeping like, it to
2: ourselves. We're trying to keep yeah. It. Pretty, the facade, and it's been hard to say something like anxiety. Your mom's like, Get it together. Oh, I'm a little depressed, mm-hmm. like you're just lazy. <laughs> whenever you know, we're giving these excuses mm-hmm. that are terrible and block communication. You're so yes, wild.
3: oh, yes, yes, definitely. That's something that I have talked with clients about how you know we have to be able to be okay. That you know, and I think that's it's twofold. Our parents have provided us with such good foundations, but then at the same time, they don't understand our problems because our problems. Problems are different. Yeah, we're not worried about paying the bills. We're worried about our emotional being. And they don't understand that because that's not their reality. And so when we complain about like, I don't have enough time to manage cooking, cleaning, a professional job, plus my own well-being at the same time, our parents immediately are like, suck it up. Right. Because they sucked it up, but they also had a different reality. They didn't have the emotional well being factor. You know, there was no time for that because they were in survival mode.
0: Yes, you said it. I think survival mode. And also, the big thing here is that. Counseling as Latinos, as a community, it's so taboo, right? Like, va a decir la gente? like what if you like, no, no, estoy loca. Like, and it's not about that. Like, they always go to, like, I'm not crazy. Why should I go to a counselor? I don't know. What can you tell us? One big benefit that Latinas can receive from social emotional counseling?
3: The biggest thing is overcoming some of those beliefs that like asking for help. So we have been taught for so long that, you know, we got to do everything for ourselves. And asking for help is showing some weakness or something, right? Like it's not really a, a definition of something. Because we do that, then it leads us to so many different things. You know, it leads us to anxiety. It leads us to depression.
2: Like it leads us to, I would say in my personal opinion, in my family, all the men drink. And drinking is a big problem. And I think drinking is a coping mechanism and we don't know it. The underlying issue is a mental health issue. But of course, we're not going to talk about someone's mood swings and they seem like they have an undiagnosed disorder. Like I'm not a doctor. I don't know. But when you become, you know, kind of part of the world and you're learning and you're growing and you realize and you think, wow, alcohol is probably a coping mechanism or for Latinos, food. Food is another coping mechanism and showing love through food and overeating and being overweight. And then that becomes another issue. And all those things, I think, when you really get down to it, our social emotional issues and the things that we're going through that we're not processing not healing I'm not a counselor you can correct me obviously if I'm wrong but I see this in my community where it's like what's taboo we don't talk about it but everybody has these really unhealthy coping mechanisms for something like anxiety because we don't have the words like my mom may not know I'm anxious but her anxiety now you're an adult you see like that's why you would spank us because you didn't yeah you know, I'm not gonna talk I'm just gonna spank you and maybe it was coping with anxiety or coping with stress or coping with pressure but again the reality Was different, they didn't have the words, they didn't maybe know that those were coping mechanisms that were unhealthy. We now have a responsibility, I think, in our community to seek out doctors like you and try to understand why do I want to turn to the bottle, why do I want to spank my kids, why do I want to overeat. We, we as Latinos, that's the tip of the day. Please be inspired by this episode to ask those questions your parents may not be able to ask them or go back. Don't blame your parents. But you as an individual can now seek out support and counseling.
1: I'm going to add to that. And I know that for, for many of us, we still have our parents around. And for the ones that do, we're listening to this. I could check things off for both my parents. I was, I've been recently having those conversations with them. And I've been pushing for them mostly my mother, to go to therapy, right? If we do have those people in our lives, the the elders in our family, que respetamos tanto y queremos tanto, why don't we help them and guide them to process this? Because it's kinda, it's for their own well-being as well. Like I think it's good for them to now be at that age and be able to let go of things. And by processing this, let, letting them understand that, look, what you did then is what you knew how to do. But now, even though you are 60s, 65, 70, whatever age you are, you can let go and be better and heal yourself from that. I can see where you can hold a lot of, not remorse for the past things you did, but just like, I regret doing this. And, And this way they can just now going forward, live a little bit more like carefree and have a little bit more of that peace of mind to what they did, what they could then, but now they have these tools to heal themselves as well. Norma, so
0: I, you gave us asking for help is really tough in our community, but say we get there, we, we're asking for help, but a lot of times we can't afford licensed therapy. Are there any alternatives that you can tell us about that our community
3: can, can seek? Yeah. So one of the great resources that we can use is the colleges that have master's programs. A lot of people don't realize that they offer reduced and sometimes free, you know, students need to learn. They're always supervised. And a lot of times they're given feedback and they also have a lot of new therapies and approaches. So there's a therapy called biofeedback that a lot of people don't know about. And UTSA here is one of them that offers them. And what it is, it's very different. It's not medication or anything. It's like a little apparatus that goes on your head and they teach you how to manage your emotions. And it's great. You know, if you have a university or community college, and if those aren't, available to you, you can also see, um, sometimes the Jewish community centers or Catholic charities, they also Mm -hmm. offer counseling options as well. And sometimes you may have to pay, but it will be way less than actually going to a private pay therapist thank you for that norma I, I think yeah a
0: lot of the what stop us is that we think it's so expensive to seek professional help but even just you now saying that yeah I, I know that students in the master program for example do offer these these counseling services so you heard that here if if you're in need of you know help or need counseling check out your local university or college or community college or even Catholic charities to to see if they offer those types of services for you. Another question that I had for you is what advice would you give women that want to pursue a career in counseling and guidance?
3: So anybody that's interested in wanting to be a counselor, really look and see the reasons behind it. Because sometimes I've seen some therapists that may be doing it to maybe try to figure themselves out and don't actually go and process and work through that. So definitely, I would say, you know, get therapy. I wish programs did that, like made you go to therapy so that you can also be whole and healed before you go and work with others. Start with self. I love that a lot. Then from there, look at the look at what you want to do. So in the state of Texas, to be a school counselor, you have to have taught. So make do your research on what type of counseling do you want to do? Because there's a whole spectrum. And then look at the different programs. There's what is called CAPE accreditation, CACREP. And so that accreditation is a higher level of a counseling program. It's offered nationwide, uh, but not all universities offer that. So I didn't attend a CAPE Credit uh, certified program, but I knew that it was not something that I was going to need in the long run. What's special about it is that you can go and work for the government. And then if you want to teach, some schools will not let you teach master level students if you don't have that Cape Prep certification. So that's something just to know long term, what are your goals? Do you want what kind of agency do you want to work at? community agencies, they're not going to be looking at those accreditations. And I mean, it, it just, it's not more expensive to attend those programs either. It's just preference.
1: That actually transitions us into the next part of the interview, where now you've given the advice to women that are interested that are looking into a career like this uh, guidance or counseling therapists, and it's always to just prep or really dig into what they really see themselves doing and think of the goals and, and how to prepare for that. A lot of things that we don't prepare for are obviously the day-to-day things and and how we plan for things. Sometimes they don't end up being the way we want them to be. So what advice would you give your 25-year-old self now looking back?
3: So my 25-year-old self had a very abnormal situation occur. My oldest sister was in a car accident. Because she was in a car accident with her daughter and she wasn't wearing a car seat and stuff. She got, she had an injury. And so CPS got involved and I took her in. My sister is okay. Wow. Um, okay. but because it was a head injury for my niece and she's, she's okay. She recovered. She came to live with me. So what I would tell my 25 year old self at the time is to, and, and I did ask for a lot of help. I had a lot of support from my friends. They I would call them, and she was four at the time, and I had no no idea about children. I had never changed any diapers or anything. Fortunately, she was four, and I didn't have to change any diapers. Oh. <laughs> I was like, no, she was a baby. <laughs> oh. No, she was four, but I was like, does a four year old know how to bathe? You know, it was silly stuff yeah. that. I mean, I just didn't know. I mean, and if you you just don't know what you don't know. And so really what I would tell myself at 25 was that it's okay um, to be angry about the situation because I think I never expressed that at all. I was very, very mad. I was very resentful that I had to take her in. And I remember my brother telling me, you don't have to do anything. You chose this. And it's funny because it, it stuck with me when he said that, but I was still angry. And I'm like, no, I don't have a choice. I didn't have a choice because the other option wasn't an option, but it was still a choice. And it was something I was not, willing to accept. So I would go back and tell myself it was a choice and you need to overcome that to be a better mom to her. Um, and it it took me a while to become a better mom for her because of that. And it was maybe about a year ago that I was telling my mom, um, about not not that directly, but something, and she said, "Oh, Miha, it's okay. Nobody know you. You were doing the best you could." And I'm like, "Nobody told me that at the time. I just felt like yeah. a horrible yeah. mom." Yeah. And then
1: especially, you're like, "I don't know what I'm doing," right? Oh my goodness! Wow. And how long was your niece with you?
3: She's still with me. I officially adopted her in 2011. Wow! Wow! Congratulations.
2: Congrats! Congratulations! What an amazing story!
3: Yes. Wow. Yeah. 15? Fifteen. Fifteen. Yes. That's
2: your baby. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Big girl, big girl. But she's been here, wow, since four to 15.
3: Yeah. Yes. Yes I told her she. Um, I mean, at, at 25, I was doing what a 25 year old is doing. Yeah, oh, yeah. so <laughs> no good. Yeah, hey. yeah and 25
0: and over it. That was a uh, that was our, <laughs> our logo back then. I've an over
3: our motto to live by.
2: And you have other children? I think yeah. I read that.
3: You're two boys, right? Yes, I have two boys. Um, they are four and eleven months.
1: Those oh, you're kind of like me. Four and eleven months. Look at that back to back babies.
3: Oh yeah. <laughs> now
1: that's hard. You were we we talked a little bit of how you know our parents didn't have that. Um, the self-preservation, the being able to they were on survival mode, right? Mm-hmm. So now how do you normal I mean Dr. Reyes? That's so awesome to be called doctor. Thank you. So it Dr. Is. Reyes, how do you feel? Like how do you how do you handle now? You became a mother at 25 and then now you're the mother of two boys. So four and eleven months. So back to back, back to back babies. That's hard. That's a lot of work. And how do you balance being Dr. Reyes and being mom? And any advice you can give on that?
3: So uh, Kalisha, my 15-year-old, she is a big support for me as well as my husband. He absolutely shares the responsibility with me, the household. He actually is the cook. Um, I try to cook, but he doesn't eat it. So I thought, uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I'll eat it. Kalisha would eat it. We would, we laugh about that. Cause I'm like, we survived. We were doing fine. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> it may not be up to his standards. I think that's what it comes down to, but, um, really a lot of support from him and then support outside of the home has really, really helped. Um, especially when she was younger, I think I just learned how to manage being a mom and then everything else. Um, I always tell, um, Kalisha that her brothers owe her um, because now they have a better, much, much better mom. Um, and that's one thing too, you know, as a Latina, we have to learn how to do something and be a parent. And so for my boys, it's kind of hard because as a, as a therapist, I find myself in that trap of like, okay, I know that what I tell them is going to be their inner voice later. And so it, it, it's, it's, it's like, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like, oh, my husband gets upset sometimes because I'll be like, oh, don't say it like that or don't do this. And he's like, I feel like I can't say anything to them. And and I think it's a balance, you know, not everything is going to be detrimental to them. And that's something that I need to recognize that obviously everything my parents said negative, you know, I learned to process and, and I remind myself and I've told this Kalisha a lot, especially since she's older you know we all have our cross to bear and I feel that's something that Latinos say but maybe we don't fully like grasp till later we all have our cross to bear and I say that to her because sometimes she looks at other girls who are maybe better athletically or better in other ways than her and I, and I say well you know we don't know what her struggles are you know we all have our struggles so you just have to overcome yours and so I remind myself of that for my children My struggles aren't theirs, but they are going to have their own struggles and I can't just protect them from everything all the time. To answer the question about how do I manage it and that just asking for a lot of help and then doing a lot of self myself, um, even when it feels selfish. Cause I think, um, that's one big thing that we're not really taught from, or from seeing our mothers, our mothers sacrifice themselves endlessly and para nada sometimes. And so for myself, I allow myself to make a lot of time for myself. We don't need just 30 minutes or an hour. We need regular daily time for ourselves. And if not, it'll show up as fighting with your spouse over stupid things. Oh yeah.
1: (laughs) I've noticed that recently. I've
3: always, yeah, I've always felt like I I could
1: self-therapy myself, right? Because I started off as a biopsych major, then a psychology major, and then I turned to sociology and with a Spanish minor. And then now I ended up working, and when I graduated, I ended up working in business. So I've through that process, I'm like, I think I can help myself deal with issues. And never that, never that I think therapy is not for me or therapy is only for the crazy. I always felt that therapy is helpful because you get this unbiased opinion from someone that doesn't know you and can just hear you out. And I went to therapy not too long ago, and it really helped me. It was more of a talking out loud helped me just process things, right? Now, it's, I just find it so hard to not become my mom. In the sense of how do I make time for me? Now I understand. I said now I understand how my mom felt or why she did certain things, and obviously her struggles are in my struggles. But in trying to figure out, you know, how I'm become how I'm becoming her, I'm trying to be. I'm trying to figure out how I can help her now. You you mentioned the it's not our cross to bear. We have our each one has our own cross to bear, it, and my struggles aren't your their struggles. And what would you recommend for new moms or for women that are transitioning careers or finding a way to, to do something for themselves now, but then somehow don't manage, don't find that time, what is something that you recommend that, has, that you think works or would work that allows them that little bit, that little bit of, of that freedom and self-preservation?
3: One of the first things I would say is time management. We want to do everything ourselves. So making a list of all the stuff we do all day and what is really important, you know, is it really important that all the dishes are done every night and maybe it is, you know, and that's the thing, like, it's not, you decide, you know, maybe it is important for you to do that. Maybe it's therapeutic for you to have all the dishes washed, um, whatever it is, you know, just make a list and everything that doesn't really help you let it go and, Then if it needs to get done, find either a different alternative solution that makes it get done faster or have someone else do it. Um, If your husband's not helping you, you better ask him to help you because no, it is not okay. We are in 2020 and it is not okay for the husband not to be helping inside the home. That would be one thing. Another thing would be just journaling. Uh, I think since as soon as I could write, I had a journal and I would journal all the time. And so I think that was another saving grace for myself. I learned to process before I even knew what processing was because I would go back and read my journal entries and I'd be like so embarrassed. So one day I like threw all my journals away because I was so scared of like my parents finding them. And it's not like I hid them. I had them in a hall closet all stacked up. Um, And I mean, and I like just wrote whatever I was feeling. And yeah, they didn't need to read any of that. (laughs) That's
2: that's beautiful. Did you retrieve them and hide them? Because I would love to have those journals still? Or you really threw them all away? I threw them all away. I regret oh. it
1: now. Yeah. She's like, I'll be honest. I burnt them because I don't want anyone to <laughs> anyone find to find them. No one needs to know about third grade me.
2: Like <laughs> no, I think this is really great advice. And just listening, and I wanted to share too because I think it's it's essential for the episode. I also did therapy with my husband. He gave it to me as a gift. I'm such a weirdo, but I was asking for that a few years ago. And I'm like, it'll take our relationship to the to the next level. I think we should do couples counseling and funny enough at that time in our life, we were not in a rough patch at all. So th- I think the counselor thought like, this is really weird. But I I just felt like, I don't know you when you kind of feel stuck, and you don't know why you feel stuck, or you feel anxious or uncertain, mm-hmm. like, do something different. So we did it. And I thought it was very enlightening. And I really learned some essential stuff about myself and about him and about our upbringing. It really connected to me how we are really our upbringing and we bring our baggage into relationships. And we cannot count on the other person to heal us. We have to heal ourselves. All these really great lessons that I clearly wouldn't have learned from just a friend telling me or him telling me or reading in a book. I There was some credibility to this counselor sitting us down and having us do exercises and having us challenge each other. And funny enough, I remember feeling after a couple of sessions, like this guy's perfect and I'm a mess. <laughs> I wanted him to be beat up a little bit about, you know, he doesn't want the dishes every night because it's not therapeutic to him. Well, that's just therapeutic to me or whatever. Right. So it was just a really great time in our marriage because I think it helped us. And then since then, we've had rough patches. And since then, we have had harder moments in our life. Like COVID is a rough patch. Yeah. Like I find that I'm aggravated and annoyed by him. And just last night, he took me on a really great dinner outside uh, because, you know, you can't go anywhere inside and everything's closed. And I was just loving it and that's my love language and quality time and he's like, yeah, you're right, babe I gotta romance you like all this time together like it just makes you want to fight with me You actually haven't picked a fight with me in a week. Have you been aware of that and i'm like I didn't even know that I was picking fights with You're you. Like, I was busy. Day. I was like, oh, my record was to fight with you every day. Let's get to it. I gave you a week off. No, I'm kidding. But it's, the point is that it's these therapies, these moments in time, these doctors, people like you that really help us, like Veros said, kind of understand and process. Like she said, think that we can figure ourselves out and maybe classes or books that we've read, but it's just so helpful to turn to a professional. So we're so proud to highlight you today.
1: Thank you. Yes, I think one of the takeaways will be that asking for help. We've talked about this topic, but how it does something so simple like asking for help and not doing so can lead to so many issues. I know there were a few that you could have touched on and we might have to pick this conversation up at a later time because it's been great having you on our podcast today. Anxiety, depression, stress, other coping mechanisms. And I would love to learn more about that. But hearing that, and letting us process, let, we can't take it all on ourselves. I think we sometimes feel that we have this obligation. When you took your niece under your wing, you you said there was, you felt it wasn't a choice then. But as women, we sometimes take on so much that we feel that we didn't have the choice. And now we have to allow ourselves to process it and work with it. And one of those things that we have to work on is asking for that help and reaching out and being able to speak our mind. So I've been very, very glad to have you here today. Dr. Reyes, we hope we, I mean, it seems we have a lot to talk about and more to share. So maybe we can have you back on yes, later on. I would love
2: to. And share a little bit more about just how to reach you, maybe your Instagram. Is there anything that our, you know, followers or listeners can... If they have a burning question for you, maybe you want to share your email. We don't want to leave them hanging. Like there's something you probably said today that they're like, oh, I want to ask her about that.
3: Yes. Um, they can follow me on Instagram with it's DR Dr Norma Reyes, or they can email me to at info at Dr dot com. Thank you so much.
0: Perfect. Very informative. Thank you, Dr. Reyes,
2: for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for bringing a great example to our community, a strong Latina. You're so young, a mom. So so thank you for being here and being a great example.
3: Thank you guys for having me.
1: Thanks. And to everyone, thank you for tuning in and listening to our Level Up Latina podcast with Dr. Reyes today. If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation, please feel free to email us. Email us at admin. At com, or you can always find us on Instagram or Facebook. Our handle is at level of You can also shoot us a message there. But thanks again for checking in with us, Dr. Reyes. Have a good one, chicas. Cuídense. Adiós. Thank you for being here. Yes, thanks so much. Thank Hasta you, luego. Doctora. Thank you, doctora. Thank you.